You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. You know, when you face these uncertain days, um, the instinct for a lot of us is, what can I do for you? What can I do to help? And I've been watching and on the news, you see lots of things. People are stepping up trying to help one another. Uh, for example, a, a landlord like Nathan Nichols in South Portland, Maine, has uh, totally foregone any uh, rent collection from his uh, people that live in his homes uh, during this time. And what an amazing thing to know you don't have to pay rent uh, if you're not being able to get paid. Also, I remember uh, this week hearing my parents, my mother and father-in-law rather, who said that uh, uh, their next door neighbor was outside while they were working in the yard, I think it was, and said to him, hey, if there's anything we can get for you, uh, just let us know. We'll go pick it up at the grocery store or something like that. Hearing about, uh, you know, with the shortages of hand sanitizer and distillers are starting to uh, shut down making alcohol and they're starting to ramp up making hand sanitizer and many of them just giving it away for free during times like this. Rice University, I just learned this morning, has invented a new way to make ventilators and they're using that and they're giving it free, the, the design for this to anyone who's able to use it. And then lo local restaurants, like uh, right here in Valdez, Old World Bakery is feeding children who maybe don't uh, have that lunch at school. I know you can go to the schools and pick it up. My wife's been volunteering. A lot of people have been volunteering during this time, but it's amazing what people will do to step up during times like this. And as I mentioned a little bit ago, that Operation Smile, as they call it, making cards for people in the Burke Hospice and rest homes. And so maybe that's something you can do. We all want to answer that question. What can I do? How can I help? And for me, like a lot of you, one of my first thoughts is, how can I pray? I don't call myself a prayer warrior, but I definitely believe in the power of prayer. And so I want to know, how can I pray for you? You can send me a prayer request personally and privately. Send it to my church's email address, uh, pastor at highpeakchurch.com, and I'll see that. Or if you want to, again, put it down in the comments below so that people will be able to read that and everyone can pray. But right now, what would you pray for? In fact, if there was uh, someone came to you and said, anything you ask for, I'll give it to you. What would you pray for? What would be the most important prayer request that you would offer right now? What would be the thing you would first want to pray to the Lord about during this time? Think about that for a second. Maybe some of you at home can answer that question in the comments. What would you pray? How would you pray right now? Well, I want us to look at a scripture passage where Paul shares three prayer requests for the people in Ephesus. So turn to Ephesus, or Ephesians rather. Ephesians, we're going to look at chapter 1 and read verses 15 through 19. And in this, he talks about how he is praying for them, and then he offers three prayer requests. And I think these might be the three most important prayer requests that you could ever pray aside from praying for salvation, for forgiveness for your sins. Ephesians chapter three, or chapter one rather, Ephesians chapter one. And as we look at these three pr prayer requests, I wonder if you can pick them out while I'm reading this scripture. It says, this is why in verse 15, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. You know, Paul was writing to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a a cosmopolitan city. It was a, a metropolitan city in that time one of the most important cities in its region. Uh, Ephesus would have been like a New York, Chicago, L.A., one of those places uh, that we see in our nation as kind of the movers and shakers of the world live there. And it was a modern city, but that also meant it had a lot of different divergent influences. Ephesus was filled with sinful influence. First First of all, it was a port city. So they had people come from all over the place who had been out at sea for months or maybe even longer. And and as they come in, they want to entertain themselves. And you can imagine the kinds of entertainment that you'd see when a bunch of sailors gather in a major city. But also it was kind of the center for one of the most uh, terrible and despicable kinds of worship, the temple prostitution of the Temple of Diana. And so it was a, a big city with an awful lot of terrible influences. But despite despite that uh, group of influences, the church at Ephesus, the Christians at Ephesus, Paul said, were incredibly faithful people. He said, I've heard about your faithfulness and your love. And then at the end of verse 16, he says, because of that, I'm praying for you. He said, I remember you in my prayers. And then he gives these three requests that I just read from verses 17 through 19. So as I look at that, I wonder, what is the greatest need for people today? What's the greatest need that people face today? A lot of us might be tempted to say, boy, if I could pray for one thing, I'd pray for the end to this terrible pandemic. And, you know, I'd want to pray for that because we're not limited to just one prayer request. But if you were, would that be the most important thing that you would pray for at this time? What is your greatest need? You know, I think if Paul grabbed a cup of coffee in 2020 and uh, turn on his television and watch some of the local and national news. And uh, then he pulled out a newspaper and began to read the headlines from the previous day. And, you know, Paul being a modern guy probably would have had a smartphone if he came in this time. And he'd pull it up and look at some of the Facebook and Twitter notices that people are putting on their pages. And then if he got that phone and started calling around to churches, to pastors, or to church members... I think he would likely offer today the very same three prayer requests. I think he would still ask for these three things. And what are they? The first one is this. We need God's spirit to help us understand our situation. And that's true no matter when you live, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what you're facing. We need God's spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in us. The Spirit of God working in our lives. We need that, Him, to help us understand, perceive, to figure out what's going on around us. We need the Holy Spirit's help to help us understand our situation. The problem is that we face a lot of confusion right now. There's a lot of people who are putting out disinformation. You know, they try to pervert truth. They try to uh, absolutely deny truth. They try to say that something opposite of the truth is the actual truth. And Paul predicted this. He wrote to Timothy. He said, there's going to be a day when right is going to be wrong. Up is going to be down. And we're living in those days right now. 
But if you want someone <clears throat> to do something for you, what would be, do you think, the most motivating way to get people to work, to do things? What's the most motivating power that you have over a person? For a lot of people, they take it the easy path to motivation, and that is fear. Fear seems like the simplest way to motivate people. Fear is a powerful motivator. Fear has led 360 million people in America to try to stay home <laughs> during this time. That might be a smart thing, but it's still, it's motivated largely by fear. Every day you hear the news conferences and they tell us it's going to get worse before it gets better. Fear is being used to motivate people. It's an incredible thing. Fear can also, not just in a time like this, but in every circumstance you face, it's used to motivate people. You know, they scare people into doing what they want. The politicians are great at this, aren't they? Aren't, aren't politicians really good at motivating people with fear? You can just see the, the terrible ads. Uh, the best known ads throughout history of politics are almost always things that are using fear to motivate people. You know, before our current president was elected, the opposite side said, if you elect him, he's going to cause World War III and the economy is going to collapse. Well, and his side today is saying, if you elect Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats put up, it's going to absolutely destroy our American economy. And it's fear. That's what they're using to try to motivate people. I don't care which side you agree with. They're both doing it. Both sides are using it. Most of the time, fear is an incredibly destructive form of motivation, though. Fear eats away at your confidence. It gets us neurotic, worried, and we struggle to believe and to trust. And God doesn't want us to be a people of fear. God said in uh, 1 Timothy, he said that he's not a, he doesn't, hasn't given anyone a spirit of fear. Now he's talking about a particular kind of fear. In reality, there's a good kind of fear and then there's a bad kind of fear. The good kind of fear is the fear of the Lord. Look at Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his instruction have good insight. His praises endure forever. So what's the difference? How is fearing God different than the kinds of fear that men use to try to get people to do what they want? The answer is this. When I fear the Lord, it leads me to do good things. It leads me to have hope in my life. It leads me to live a life of courage, knowing that as I have put my fear in the Lord, I'm able to act knowing he's going to work in my life. Because it has removed sinful behavior. It's removed uh, destructive behavior. I'm not self-destructive and I'm not trying to hurt and harm the people around me. When I'm motivated by the fear of the Lord, I'm motivated by the fruit of the Spirit to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm motivated to love people like it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, love never ends. It doesn't boast in what is wrong. It doesn't revel in that and all the things that it says there. So look again at verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. God wants you to understand the situation so that you can make wise choices and not fearful choices. God wants us to make the right choices, not the wrong choices. He wants us to make choices out of confidence, not because we're afraid. Now notice, this is not just any kind of wisdom 
and revelation. It says it's in the knowledge of him, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's the same word used here. In the end times, he's saying, I'm trying to reveal to you Jesus so you'll have the confidence to go through all of these terrible things that are predicted in that book if you have to. But the fact is, when we have trust and confidence in the Lord, we don't have fear of the world. And we know we can get through things and we see and understand what our situation is because we have Jesus revealed to us. We have God shown to us through his scriptures and through his spirit in us. And so he wants us to have that spirit of understanding. If I know more about God, I know more about God's love. God loves you. If no one else does, God loves you. I met a man just yesterday, came looking for some help and he had just gotten out of the hospital. And when he got home, he found out that his wife was having an affair while he's in the hospital. And he knew that the one place he could turn to for help was the church because we represent God in this world. My prayer is for that man. He's trying to get to uh, New Jersey where he's got family there. And that's the only place he has family. But it's because he knew that God loves him that he was turning to the right place. And we tried to help him and we prayed with him. God is loving God loves you no matter what anyone else feels about you. So turn to him, a God of love. Second of all, God is all-knowing. We use the term omniscient. It means he knows all that can be known. Everything that anyone could ever know in this universe, God knows it. And because of that, he knows what you're facing. He knows what you're dealing with or struggling with today. He knows how you feel. He knows what you need. But you know what? That wouldn't be good enough all by itself. And so we also know that God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. Not only does he know you what you need, he knows how to meet that need. And so God is there for you because he loves you and he knows what you need and has the ability to meet your need. Sometimes through miraculous means, but sometimes through ordinary means. But God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. And the next thing we understand is God is gracious. I know this, I'm a sinner. How about you? <laughs> I'm a sinner. Like Paul, he said, I'm the chief of all sinners. And that's just because I wasn't born yet. <laughs> we all are sinners. We all make mistakes. But God is a gracious God. And if you know him, you know your situation. You know that, yes, you may be a sinner, but you have hope of becoming a saint. We know that we're sinners and we have a destiny of hell. But when you put your trust in Jesus who loves you, who knows your situation and has the power to pull you up out of that fiery pit of hell by the fact that he died for you and he rose again and he's alive today. If you'll just ask for the forgiveness of your sins, if you'll just believe that he loves you and he died for you and he's got a purpose for you in this life and he's also got an eternal home in heaven for you. If you'll believe in that, then the grace of God can totally transform your situation. And the next thing we know, God is kind. God's a kind God. <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, you know, if you know someone who's kind, you know they're a person who's always trying to help somebody else. They're, they're always willing to put themselves at risk in order to be there for someone else. God is kind. And he cares about your situation. And God is generous. It's amazing to me. All the blessings that I have in my life. Uh, the blessings of a wonderful family that I love deeply. A wonderful church that I miss so much right now. 
that we're not able to be together physically as much as we wish we could. I hope that after this is over, people start realizing how special it is to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and we'll come back. You want to know whether you're really on, in a right relationship with the Lord during this time? You miss church and you can't wait for it to be over so you can come back to gather with the church. But I know this, that God is generous and he will supply all your needs. And so if you know somebody who's generous, you know they're always trying to help one another. And the thing is, God's blessings are so generous. He's given us so much. Even in this country where, where we're facing a, a trial right now, but we face it with so many more resources to meet the need head on than other places in this world. But all of that is nothingness compared to the greatest gift of our generous God and that is the gift of Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that Holy Spirit, He wants us to understand our situation. He wants us to understand what we're going through. But there's another prayer request. He's in control and He has a purpose for you. Look at verse 18. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We need God's spirit not only to help us understand our situation, we need God's spirit to help us hope in our calling. To help us with the hope, the confidence, the, the trust that, that we've got a God who cares about us and is going to take care of us and give us a purpose that we might help that care reach out to other people. And we've all been called to it. We have a vocation, a calling is what that word means. I saw this Instagram post this week. A woman, it was a nurse in Michigan, and it was the first time she'd ever posted anything on Instagram. It's a social media network, in case you don't know. Most of you who are watching on Facebook know Instagram. But uh, in that, she described the situation that she was facing as a, as a nurse in an overrun hospital. How every day she has to take her mask because there's such a shortage of them. She puts it on. She has to wear it all day long, which is not normally sanitary. She takes it home at night by putting it in a sack, seals it up, and takes it home. And she treats it like it's one of her most valued possessions because she, know that, she knows that mask might be the one thing that's keeping her from getting sick in a time like this. She talked about the shortage of gear, the things that they wear, the gowns and face masks and all of that. And she talked about the sick people who are coming in, some of them with potentially deadly illnesses. And then also the other folks who are having to go to the hospital, like we all you know, sometimes have to go to the hospital for an injury or some sickness that's unrelated to this. And those folks coming in, putting themselves in danger just to get help for a broken bone or because they've had a stroke or something else. And she was afraid because in her hospital, she didn't have the basic needs in order to take care of the situation. And yet she still went to work every day. Why? Because she said she has a calling. She has a purpose. Well, you know what? You and I have a calling and a purpose. And what motivates that calling is the love that we have because Jesus called us. That God who loves you and cares for you, he's called you. He's the one who's asked you to do what he's asking you to do. Sometimes a parent might tell a child, hey, you know, you need to do this for me. And they don't want to do it. It's because they don't really fully appreciate that it's not the act of cleaning your room or doing the chores outside. It's the fact that your parent who loves you asked you. Well, God loves you. 
enough to die for you. And he's got a purpose for you, a calling. And so the truth is, many people have a motivational purpose. But we have an eternally motivational purpose. We've been motivated by eternity. Not just my own eternity, but by the eternity of the people I'm trying to help. If I die of a disease, I will live on forever. Because my soul has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Why? Not because of anything I did, but because of the grace and the gift of Jesus Christ in my life. I asked forgiveness when I was a 10-year-old boy, and God said, yes, you're forgiven. And now I've got a call in your life. And over the next few years, I began to flesh out what that calling would be and eventually chose that God was calling me to the pastoral ministry. But you know, that calling is more significant to me than almost anything else in my life. Sometimes I allow it to, to you know, my attitude changes and I don't have the, quite the right attitude all the time. But I know this, I have an eternal calling, an eternal purpose. But if I died, I would continue living on. So would you. But there are many people who are perfectly healthy today, but are in far dire straits today because they don't have Jesus in their lives. They have a far more pernicious and deadly disease than COVID-19. They have sin. They have sin in their lives. And your eternity is determined by what you do, not with a disease or with a medicine, but with Jesus. And he says this at the end of verse 18. He says that we have the wealth of his glorious inheritance. I want you to know that, that the fact is that, that we uh, need God's spirit to have us give us a hope of our calling, a purpose in our calling, that, that God is doing things for us and therefore we can do for others. And then he reminds us of the wealth of his glorious inheritance. That term wealth meaning an overabundance far more than you ever need. And that glorious inheritance, it's that, that thing that is handed to you. Now, Paul, in another place, talks about our inheritance. And he says, you know, some people, their acts, their works are like straw. Well, you know, if you burn straw, it's going up pretty quick. <laughs> uh, burning straw is not going to keep anybody warm for a very long time unless you have an awful lot of it. He says it's like straw or like wood, which lasts longer. Or maybe metal, which seems like it would last forever, but it still doesn't. It rusts and it deteriorates. You can even have the most valuable, precious metals on earth. But all of them are temporary in comparison to the glorious inheritance that God gives us in Jesus Christ. Those things are useful in this life. Wood, hay, metals, diamonds. But they're of no value to us in the next but our hope that we have is an eternal inheritance because of the glorious wealth of Jesus Christ. So God wants you to understand your situation and he wants you to, to understand your calling and the reward for your calling. But there's a third prayer request. Look at verse 19 where he continues this idea of a prayer and talks about a third thing here. It says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? We need God's spirit to help us trust in God's power. To help us trust, to have confidence, to believe in it. You might have great confidence in the government to solve this problem. You might have great confidence in a friend who can help you to meet a need for you. You might have great confidence in a family member to offer you love and to be there for you. But none of that is as great as our God and his love for us. He uses a few words here. One, he uses the word immeasurable. 
That's such an abundance. It's more than you can even imagine. As I thought about the passage of a $2.2 trillion relief package. <laughs> that seems immeasurable to me, but it's not. It is measurable. We can measure it. It's enormously large. It's hard for me to imagine it, but it is measurable. But God's relief package is immeasurable. It's unlimited. It is infinite. His love, his grace, and his gift of eternity is immeasurable. And also talks about three things that are all sort of the same. There are three different terms for the same concept or idea. Power, might, and strength. God's power is so mighty, so great. It makes him first and second place is so far behind him. It's hardly even worth talking about in the same breath. You know, we like to talk about, I'm a sports fan. We like to talk about in sports, the GOAT. That's not a farm animal in sports. It's uh, an acronym, the greatest of all time. Put it together, you get the GOAT. And we debate over what's the GOAT. You know, you can use this in other areas. For example, songs. What do you consider the, the GOAT of all gospel hymns? Well, one of the ones that people often pick is Amazing Grace. You know, that's one of the first ones that people think about. It's the one that the news media, if you're going to hear a gospel hymn on a TV show, it's almost likely, almost certainly going to be Amazing Grace. That song is loved by so many people that a lot of folks think of it like this. If I'm ranking the top 10, number one is Amazing Grace. Oh, and number two, three, and four are Amazing Grace too, because number four or number five is so far down compared to how great that song is uh, that it's not even close. Well, that's God in our lives. He is so far superior to any other influence, any other source of strength, any other love, any other person. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time, and it is not even close how much he surpasses the second most powerful thing in all the universe. God created the universe, and he knows you intricately, personally. He knows the very number of hairs you have on your heads. God loves you. I wonder, at a time like this, how are you feeling? Found a list of the most common responses that people have to crisis in their lives. And when I looked at it, there were 17 things on that list, and I said, you know what? These 17 really kind of boil down to six things. I want you to look at them. They're kind of varying in degrees, the 17 of them. And so I put all of the ones together. And here's what I came up with. Number one, there's fear. We talked about that. Not the fear of the Lord, but the fear of things that are destructive in your life. But you know what? God isn't a God of fear, unless you fear him. God instead is a God of confidence. God is a, a God of trust, and you can believe in him. The second one was confusion. You know, there's a lot of confusion, but God is not a God of confusion. He seeks for you to seek for, from him wisdom and understanding. And he wants us to have that understanding so we can know how to live our lives for him. The third thing is depression. A lot of people face crisis with depression. They might with fear or confusion, but they also face it with depression or in varying degrees of depression. Well, I want you to know God is a God of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice, Paul said in Philippians. Find your joy in your calling. Find your joy in your relationship with Jesus. And you're able to get through most things, if not all things in your life, with confidence and strength. And when your confidence fails, 
Turn to him to restore your joy. Are you feeling joyless? It might be that you're not spending enough time connecting with the God of confidence and joy. And I want you to know, fourth thing he says is grief. God cares for your sorrows, so trust his love to bring them to an end. You might be feeling grief. Maybe there's a death. We just recently had a death in our church. And what a terrible time to have a death when you can't have people come and visit with you and tell you how much you, they love them. You, you love them and, and tell the, that person, you know, that, that person that you lost, here's how they were important to me. And it encourages you. It's hard to do that at a time like this. But God loves you and God's here for you. And when you're facing grief because of a crisis in your life, know that he wants to show you love. He wants to put his arms around you. You know, some people react to crisis with anger. But I want you to know God is in control and he will repay evil with punishment. And he'll repay good with reward. And so if you're angry at someone, just know God's got this. He'll take care of it. You just sit back and wait and trust in him. And you know, one of the things though that people react to a crisis with is yes, fear, confusion, depression, grief, anger, but the last one is a little more constructive than destructive. It's work. People face a crisis and they say, I want to do something. Maybe to distract themselves from the problem or maybe to feel like they're having a value. Well, I want you to know something. God is a God who gives us a perfect calling. Jesus said it like this. He said, take my yoke upon me, upon you. Come and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he was saying is that is, is like a, a pair of oxen, two large animals. When you put a yoke on them, they're supposed to be evenly matched and both of them pull. One would have to be immensely strong in order to pull a very weak one without it causing problems. You know, you'd start going in the wrong direction. But God says, I'm so strong that I can get yoked to you and even if you have no power and no ability whatsoever, I can still do great things through you. You and I, when we, compare, when we connect ourselves to God, are a majority in this world. God is in complete control and he wants to take control of your problems, your situation. And he wants to help you get through all of this with confidence and with joy and understanding. He wants you to understand your situation he wants you to understand all of these things. He wants you to understand that you can trust in his power. He wants you to understand that you have a hope and you have a calling. And he wants you to understand your situation through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit in you. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.